0: Welcome to today's episode of Strategy and Sourdough. Uh, Today, Onur and I will be talking about commoditization. Difficult word, isn't it? It is. How are you today? Very good. How are you? Very good. Let's uh, jump into today's topic.
1: So the topic I want to talk about today is definitely, doesn't sound like fun. It's this commoditization of everything. I have this belief that anything that can be commoditized will be commoditized. And what do I mean by that? I think Kevin Kelly about 20 years ago wrote this book and he argued that the biggest force that came with the internet was the democratization of tools and distribution, making it accessible and available for everyone. So what I think is happening is if you look at platforms like YouTube, it has become so easy to publish a video and start building your following, or if you look at the no-code trend, which is the idea that anyone can build a basic app without acquiring the skills or learning how to program. It sounds really interesting, and this is all filed under the creator economy, enabling people to become more expressive and pursue their passions and build their own businesses. But I think this also means there will be a lot more competition and the cost of doing something is going down, but the price at which you can sell it is also going down.
0: Yeah, there's also um, a related trend or a related kind of way to think about it, which is the barriers to entry that existed in a lot of things have shifted fundamentally. Exactly. As you pointed out, you can start a digital startup now if you don't know how to code, if you don't know how to do certain things, and actually quite affordable ways as well. You can sort of have these more lean ways to go to market. Hosting is more affordable everything is basically more affordable from that perspective but i also think it's what what's going to essentially be the make or break of this type of economy the focus has gone back into the actual value that you create right because you know historically i mean i'm not saying that uh, companies that didn't provide something of value were you know that was always required but i think that level at which your value has to be delivered whether it's entertainment value or utility value or whatever that may be right I think that sort of the bar has so much higher now, because while anyone can start a YouTube channel, the really big YouTubers that are making big money using it, I mean, their reach is larger than BBC in some cases, right? Mm-hmm. And getting to that level is probably harder than ever because there's so many people trying it. So I think it's this like sort of bottom-up model now where the barriers to entry are actually super, super low, but the barriers to success are really, really high because the level of content and all that has to be the original thought behind things has to be higher than before.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a winner-take-all model. And I think the gatekeepers of this new economy, like in the case of YouTube, it's the algorithm that decides what surfaces to the top. And then some people try to game it, but given enough time or over the long course of being a YouTube creator, it's probably true that better content ends up being more successful on the platform. Same thing could potentially be said for startups built using no-code tools, the ones who are really good at marketing or the ones that consumers are really finding valuable, have a higher chance of success over the long term.
0: I think the winner-take-all model also, you know, extends into so so many different things now. Think about e-commerce, think about the big platforms, the Amazons of the world. I mean, they are getting bigger and bigger just purely because they can operate at such a different way than anybody else can. And that's what I mean when I earlier said, you know, barrier to entry, I could start an e-commerce store probably tonight still, if I wanted to, I can get a Shopify going and some products in there tonight. That doesn't mean anyone's going to buy from me, right? So it is that sort of barrier to entry is low, barrier to success is actually still very, very high. So it's creating this economy where a lot of people um, are entering different industries, but the big ones are the ones that are really the, the major successful ones. And Marketing plays a role in the success stories and branding plays a role in the success stories of the ones who do make it through and break out of
1: the, the thousands who try. We may be a little bit biased here, but I argue that true product innovation is becoming more and more difficult. And the way to differentiate when the barriers to entry are so low are through marketing and brand. And therefore, it becomes even more important to figure those out. I mean. Just a random example, email marketing software. 15 years ago, there were two tools that you could use. Right now, there are at least 20 that you can choose from. The essence, whether you are really much better than your competition and delivering that email, I think if you look at the 20 different tools, you won't see a lot of difference. Or if you look at the capabilities or the features that they offer, you won't see a lot of difference. At the end of the day, you pick a tool that you feel represents you better, or that you feel is going to do the job better, or you just like the UI better, or their mascot better. I mean, it could boil down to something as ridiculous as, oh, I like their website copy, or I like how they communicate with me, right? And I think this is going to happen in a lot of industries. Maybe this is an extreme example when you talk about email marketing, but I'm arguing that the commoditization is Happening to, And that's the role of technology, by democratizing access and by reducing barriers to entry, it's commoditizing everything. And therefore, marketing and differentiation is becoming even more important.
0: Yeah, and the stories matter more. It's what you say as a brand and what you do as a brand. So the stories, the brand stories, the brand narratives, and the, what brands believe in actually matter more than ever now. What you say as a brand and what you do as a brand, like genuinely do for people, for example, matters so much more now. And there's everyone, as you said, will choose a company based on what you resonate with for one reason or another. Maybe you really like the attitude of the the company and the way that they write about themselves. Maybe you like the design and it just kind of draws you in rather than another design of an email tool that you could be considering. Maybe it's what they do for society as a whole. Or maybe it's their belief in something bigger than email marketing or something like that. But I think the brand stories and what you say and do matter so much more now. And I think it's going to get even more important as things get more commoditized and the
1: barrier to entry remains low. Here's an idea. How about the brand stories becoming commoditized? Because if everybody talks about how they are making the world a better place or how they are saving the environment or how they value diversity.
0: Yeah, I don't really mean that by the stories. I think that's one aspect of it is yeah, like, what, what do we support and what's our belief system? But I still think that there's a unique style that you can write in, for example. There are unique origin stories that you can relate to, perhaps for whatever reasons. There are value systems that these brands believe in that can be as infinite as you know the mix of founders and stories behind why companies were started. I still stand by what you and I actually have discussed in a couple of our very early episodes, which is... You know, you start with the founder stories and the origin stories of why the company was started. In most cases that I've been involved in, there is something interesting behind it. I was actually talking to an ex-client of mine this morning who has started this. It's confidential still, so I won't go into the very, very specifics. But this particular company has found a niche in a market in APAC, in the financial services industry in e-commerce. And they've done it by truly coming up with something that I believe really takes care of e-commerce shoppers at the product level. So therefore, when the task of writing a brand story comes about, what you say about that business becomes so much more credible because they fundamentally are already doing something that just genuinely is transparent and helps people with their lives and buying certain purchases that they may not be able to buy right now. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I mean. So there's an origin story or there's a product feature that's individually driving something different or there's a founder story or there's something like that that resonates. But it is really, really important nowadays when seemingly most people can start these companies. Mm -hmm. And what's going to differentiate, right? It's the stories we tell and the things we do for people.
1: So how do you start and make money in an economy where all the tools are available and the barriers to entry are quite low? A couple of things that, if I can try to summarize. (laughs) Yeah, that's the number one. growth hack. Yes. (laughs) The first one is you can try to differentiate with the product itself, which I believe is the default modus operandi for a lot of founders with tech backgrounds, but it's becoming increasingly difficult because true innovation is rare. The second way is you can differentiate with your marketing, the way you speak or the way you tell your story or the way you build an identity or communicate can be a really interesting differentiation and as oliver in the last episode pointed out can help create irrational margins as well and the third way of doing is what internet community nowadays calls selling shovels it's basically building the tools that enables or accelerates this trend of creators and helping them build their businesses So if you, for example, build the next Shopify or build a tool for people to start their own YouTube channels or get the most out of being an Instagram influencer, arguably, you are the owner of the platform and therefore you have the potential to become successful over the long term.
0: Yeah, I think these, I often refer to them as infrastructure startups or infrastructure companies. So basically enabling other people to build something on top of your company. And I also think the change in people's behavior over the last, I would probably say five to 10 years actually has enabled this to happen because I really do think that the starting on an e-commerce platform and building on an existing platform, you build your own shop, wasn't that popular back in the day. There were sort of the inherent issues of data sharing and all that type of stuff that happened. And a lot of companies wanted to just basically own their own experience, their own data and things like that. And that's actually quite popular now for big brands too. But I really do think that the sort of more maker communities, the SME type startups that want to sell things, that mindset has changed so much over the last decade that it's enabled the Shopify's, it's enabled the fibers, it's enabled the Etsy's and all these kinds of communities that enable people to share. But what that's also created then supports what you were talking about earlier, the winner takes all model. Mm-hmm. Because something like a Shopify comes around and they become the de facto platform, then in the sort of infrastructure for e-commerce and easy to roll out shops that accept payments and manage it all for you, then all of a sudden that industry gets really difficult to get into now too, because that brand has become so big that the audiences on Shopify or the audiences on a particular marketplace are already so big anyway, that it creates more difficulty to get into that particular business. So it is, it's kind of a fascinating way that sort of internet type businesses have evolved over the last decade.
1: It reminds me of crossing the chasm because what typically happens is innovative players like Shopify, we don't know how Shopify is going to turn out, obviously, but in most cases they become bloated and uh, slow and then a fast, nimble competitor comes and uh, promises to change the landscape and people start at first slowly and then later much faster switching to the new platform. and given 10 years, the new platform is the best thing ever, and people forget about Shopify, and then people start complaining that the new platform is getting bloated, then the cycle repeats. Yeah, all empires will fall, right? Except Microsoft. I don't know how they are doing so well. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I mean, theirs was, it was a genius idea
0: on distribution. Every PC comes with with a Microsoft operating system, period.
1: I think the next one, with the new leadership, after resisting open source for so long, they totally embraced it. They bought GitHub. Yeah. They built the best text editor, Visual Studio code that everybody is using, and it's free. And they are just so good right now. I mean, it's unbelievable that we are talking about Microsoft and not some open source company. But
0: I mean, in that regard... There are so many of these companies enabling change, really, if, if we think about it. the What's interesting to see in, I would almost call like enterprise marketing related things. And it's kind of, it's related to this topic because... Sounds like a dirty word. Yeah, it is. But historically, enterprise marketing software, for example, if you look at marketing automation, email marketing, data platforms, things like that, your de facto choices were by and large the big players. But now I think the quote-unquote startups in this space have become so credible. And with the evolving technology and how the actual infrastructure tech behind them, sort of cloud-based systems that scale, you don't have scalability issues, even with the smallest players anymore, the way everything is enabled has provided a true viable option now. And that's been really interesting to see where the likes of Braze, for example, if you think about that, and the likes of Contentful and headless CMS systems and companies like that. They're definitely not startups anymore, but they're not the traditional players that used to rule the enterprise marketing world. And I think this is what's going to happen in a lot of industries where you have the next wave of companies maturing. And what I'm interested in seeing now is who's coming after, right? Who's coming after the content falls and who are the next ones to to really um, make it big and really drive that wave of innovation in the winner. Winner takes all model gets challenged hopefully a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, as much as, like you pointed out, as easy as it's to get started and build your own platform, it's still super difficult to dethrone the incumbents in any markets. And that relies or requires doing a lot of things, right? All the way from product to your pricing, to distribution, to your communication, right? And yeah, that's kind of what we are trying to uncover and figure out on this show. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: But I mean, the marketing itself is changing too. Of course, you spoke earlier about YouTube stars and Instagram influencers and all the, and the like. And if you really think about it, there are lots of influencers in there that essentially operate very similarly to any celebrity endorsements might have operated in the past. So the fundamentals behind that haven't changed that much. They've shifted into a new platform and it shifted into the new wave of people that, you know, certain audiences follow. But it's still marketing-wise. It's still about how do you get your name out there, how do you get the reach, how do you get the frequency, and how do you get noticed? Exactly. We have a new that name hasn't really for changed it. that much, but it is of course because competition is so much steeper and there's so much more of it in most industries. It is harder to get noticed. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that are one of my favorite topics is also this notion that because you're going with a social media influencer or your channel choices are more digital in nature, that it's somehow cheaper. I completely disagree with that notion too, because if you want to reach a lot of people, unless you are really, really creative and come up with something that's just going to go nuts, like the um, the ocean spray film that came out of nowhere, for example, where that guy's listening to uh, music and drinking ocean spray on the longboard. Like those things happen sometimes, and then brands are sort of almost accidentally a part of that, and then they can choose to amplify it. But, you know, creating fame for companies in well, competed over industries isn't any easier than it was in the past. So a lot of industries are getting commoditized, right? So the internet digital technology has democratized distribution and it's uh, created basically this creator economy where the barriers to entry for most industries are lower than ever before. But at the same time, because it's easier to get started you know, using the no-code movement, so you don't necessarily have to know how to develop things anymore. You can use Designer communities very affordably to design corporate identities and materials, and you know you have all your YouTube stars and Instagram influencers and things like that. It's almost created this winner takes all model, where true product innovation is perhaps more rare than we used to see, and the differentiation has to come from the stories that we tell as companies, as brands. Mm -hmm. So, what do we say as a brand, and what do we do as a brand? It's just increasingly important to differentiate that way since competition will become easier to access. And with that, uh, thank you for all the listeners. And thank you very much, Honor. It was a great discussion, as always. Enjoyed it. Likewise. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Strategy and Sourdough. We'd love to get any feedback, questions, or topic suggestions you may have. Drop us a line at hello at strategyandsourdough.com.